News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Well, Chris, thanks for sitting down with me today on a shared podcast conversation, which will get published on both your platform and mine. I really appreciate uh, you, the work you've done in Texas. I feel like for a long time, we've been kind of operating around each other with an occasional conversation here and there, Um, but really looking forward to just sitting down with you today and talking about a couple of things going on in Texas. I would like you to kind of give everyone a little bit uh, of your background and idea of, of how you got to where you are today with your show on Newsmax, with the radio that you continue to host. How did you get from Mr. Little Chris Salcedo to uh, hosting the things you're doing today? Well, first off, I I think this is kind of historic. I mean, here we got a couple of guys over at Texas Scorecard with podcasts, right? And we're doing a simul podcast. I mean, this is, I mean, this is kind of exciting. I don't know if everybody else does this, but we ought to do it more often because it's fun. Okay. I'm just going to, just going to throw that out there right now. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's number one. So me, uh, as you can tell, I'm always eager to talk about me. Uh, look, I, I started in San Diego. That's where I was born and raised back when San Diego was, was somewhat conservative. And I started out at a small radio station, a class C radio station, got into television out there doing weather and traffic, and then ended up being the main weather guy. Got a gig out here in North Texas at a place called CBS 11. And then when the Obama economy took that job, I moved to D.C., did uh, a couple of years on national radio in a, in a news capacity, and then decided, well, this is all, I mean, the news operations are increasingly corrupt, so I decided to start the Chris Salcedo Show, came back and started out with The Blaze, with Glenn Beck's The Blaze. He was the first one to say, hey, I like the idea of a liberty-loving Latino, and he was the first one to, to see... Uh, the idea of a conservative Latino host actually having a different perspective. And so he put me on the air and the rest is history. Then we KSEV, the the voice of Texas in Houston, WBAP for a time. I, uh, I left there last year and then the Salcedo storm podcast and our partnership with, with the Texas scorecard. And, and, and of course don't, don't forget Newsmax. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where we are uh, television and radio in, in a nutshell. When you start, did you always want to do media journalism? Was that really from from an early age what you knew you wanted to get into? Oh God, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, I, I am a trained actor. I am. I graduated from San Diego State University with a uh, with a degree in the dramatic arts. If you if you watch Veronica Mars, you know that the TV show Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. There are two episodes that I appear in as believe it or not, a border agent. Mm-hmm. One of them is called Donut Run. I can't remember the name. <laughs> I think you think you know somebody or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of the second episode. Two episodes of Veronica Mars, I played a border agent. That was foreshadowing to my law and order days as a conservative talk show host in Texas. And of course, my disdain for illegal immigration. When you were acting and trying to make it there, were you conservative at that point, or did that happen over time? I, I was a kid. I, I was in my teens and 20s. I didn't know what I was. I think at bottom, I had a, a grounding in faith. I had, I had uh, an idea that I wasn't—some uh, things in Hollywood just didn't sit well with me. 
when something was back guano crazy, I called it back guano crazy. And that seemed to rub a lot of people the wrong way mm-hmm. in the in the acting circles that I was standing. But of course, back then it didn't stand up as much stand out as much as it does today because back then irreverent humor was king. I mean, Eddie Murphy and Robin Williams and those guys who were taking Hollywood by storm at the time, irreverent humor pushing back against the grain was welcomed. Today, you get canceled, but back then it was it was avant-garde, you know. When at what point did you realize I'm conservative? I want to talk about politics. This is something I want to engage in. Is that just as you started covering those issues more? I, I think as I watched the as being in the press, I was in news for many, many moons. And I, uh, I think that as I saw the press abandoning its constitutional obligation of being a free and fair press, that's when I started paying more attention to what the great Rush Limbaugh was doing. Uh, listening to talk radio. As a matter of fact, when I was still doing weather in San Diego, I got my first guest host gig on a talk show, uh, the Roger Hedgecock show uh, in uh, in San Diego on Kogo. And so from that point, I think I was, I, I'd already been a fan of the medium, but it was at that point when I realized, hey, maybe I could do this. Mm. Maybe I could do this medium. And the rest is history. So you're, you are somebody on a national level that has a national stage and national audience. You live in Texas. You still talk about things that are going on in Texas. And I think that that is one, something that makes you unique. I remember your uh, monologue on Newsmax where you talked about all the power that Texas legislators are giving to Democrats and the Texas House of Representatives and the fact that, you know, we have this weird situation in Texas where the Republicans that we elect and give all this power to turn around and give almost half of it to the Democrat Party who then use it to kill conservative legislation. So... To that extent, with a lot of our listeners, they are Texas politics focused, right? And so I think that some of them even listen to less national media over time. This is the feedback I've gotten from people because they say, look, this stuff is not stuff that I can tangibly affect as easily as these things right in front of me. I know I can get to know my state rep. I can figure out who my county commissioner is, and I can actually maybe try to accomplish something from a policy perspective in Austin compared to D.C., when, at what point did you start following? I know with your radio covering so many things locally, you know, I would love to hear your perspective from having these national conversations and the more you start focusing on Texas and kind of what you bring out of the observations you've made of our state. It was a private conversation, Luke, I had with somebody I know and you know, uh, a, a politician, a Texas politician who said to me, if we lose Texas, we lose the country. Mm-hmm. And this was some years ago, and it was actually repeated in the last election cycle to me. We lose Texas, we lose the country. The importance of Texas, and and dare I say now, the growing importance, if not uh, the prominence of Florida, is is that these are the laboratories of conservative thought. So, and and our adversaries, and they call us enemies, um, Beijing Biden, the occupier of the Oval Office, calls us his enemies. So, uh, who am I? to dispute the occupier of the Oval Office, if he regards your liberty-loving Latino as his enemy, mm-hmm. then uh, I'm going to regard him as such as well. So on the national level, I think it's important for folks to understand and know uh, where where Texas is because the, the national viewpoint of Texas is, oh, this is where conservatism is. This is where, you know, tumbleweeds and cattle and... Uh, and stalwart individuals uh, who are staunch conservatives, and when they find out 
that we're under attack, when they find out that our enemies know that Texas is one of the last bastions, the holdouts of what America used to be, um, that's why there's a concerted effort to change things here in the state of Texas, because they're trying to eliminate opposition. So by bringing that attention that there are people here in Texas who call themselves Republicans who are aiding in that endeavor to basically water down what it is to be a Republican, water down what it is to be a Texan, and just say, hey, yeah, we're all socialists. We're all Marxists. We're all supposed to get along in kumbaya. No, that's that's not it. And I got to tell you, Luke, I get more feedback when folks found out that Republicans in the state of Texas, their first order of business on getting the majority is to give away power to Democrats. They, 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 they look, they're looking at us now as if we have three heads. Nobody understands that. And as a matter of fact, it cannot be explained. It has not been explained at all as to why Republicans should be excited and it benefits Texas to, to have a one party win majority and have the other party take power. It's one of the few issues where, you know, Chairman Matt Rinaldi, our, our Republican Party of Texas chairman, has been so out front. And, and I have to always give credit to Brian Slayton because he literally created this issue. Um, I think it was so funny. I remember several months before the legislature last session, a little over two years ago, and we're sitting in a room and Brian Slayton goes, I don't want Democrats to be committee chairs. And then he just says, well, can't we just like put something in the rules that says they can't? And everybody looks at themselves like, why has no one come up with that idea for the last decade? I mean, for 10 years, we've been complaining. Strauss put a Democrat in charge of ways and means one year. They've put Democrats in charge of the abortion committee. They've put Democrats, Dennis Bonham put a Democrat in charge of all the gun legislation. Dade Phelan put them in charge of all the public education. And so we comp basically every two years, conservatives would complain about one committee. And then the Republican speaker would say, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to give Democrats that this time, but I'll give them education. And so they would just complain, complain, complain. And Brian goes, wait a second, let's have a real discussion within the rules of the Texas House if we should or shouldn't do that. And now it's created for the last two years, this movement where everybody said, okay, we're going to talk about this. So it's so encouraging. Have you played, have you played the ad? No, which one? The ad, because uh, because you talked about Matt Rinaldi. Yep. And Matt, Matt Rinaldi, and this is something else that, that a lot of people around the country are saying, wait a minute, let me get this straight. The Republican Party of Texas took out an ad in, in Dade Phelan's district. Yep. And 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 basically said that uh, Dade Phelan is not behaving as a Republican. Dade Phelan needs to stop these practices. That, that, that And Dade Phelan's a Republican. Yep. How extraordinary is it that the Republican Party of Texas came out against the Republican Speaker of the Texas House? And I said, yeah, it's extraordinary because you've got a guy by the name of Matt Rinaldi who's trying to have the Republican brand mean something. Yep. Because right now, it means nothing. Yep. It is, it is a meaningless brand. And when Ted Cruz and John Cornyn can be call themselves Republicans, you know that the term Republican is meaningless. So let's talk about John Cornyn. In fact, I, I haven't played the radio ad, but <clears throat> what I will do is in the show notes, we'll, we'll link out to it. I have shared it with a lot of people. Um, I emailed it out to my email list, the actual radio ad, and I know a ton of people got feedback from that because absolutely phenomenal what Matt did. And, and to your point, it's one of those things where Charlie Guerin, Jeff Leach, Justin Holland, all these Republicans got really mad at Matt. And he, and he said, look, I spent six and a half million dollars trying to elect Republicans to govern like Republicans. And now I'm spending $15,000 criticizing basically, and I'm not even criticizing, I'm asking the Republican speaker of the house 
to give Republicans power. To be power. a Republican. Exactly. <laughs> it was controversial. How outrageous. I mean, asking a Republican a speaker to be a Republican is, is now considered outrageous when really the outrageous activity is uh, after all the block walking, after all of the volunteer, after volunteering, after all of the money that Republicans and conservatives put on the line to elect a Republican majority, the controversy is saying, now I'm going to appoint Democrats who didn't win this power at the ballot box. Now I'm going to appoint them uh, the power to destroy conservative agenda items. It's just, it's, it's patently absurd and it has to stop. Yep. So you mentioned John Cornyn. I know you've been talking about Cornyn for a little while. We all have, but you have uh, more so. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about your observations on Cornyn as a whole and what, what how do you think Texas needs to handle this Republican senator who's literally been elected statewide for decades, attorney general, Supreme Court justice, U.S. senator. He has sold us out time and time again, but his sellouts are becoming increasingly antagonistic to those, um, to Texans worldview, both Despite. with the gun issue. And yep. now he's turning his, his gaze towards immigration and he has yep. no intention of securing the border. It's spiteful. It, it, it is nothing but spite. I think, uh, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of back backroom chatter about what's going on in John Cornyn's personal life, which I'm, I don't want to get into. I'm not comfortable. It was, it was second and third hand information, and it's really immaterial. But it, but it, here's what John Cornyn has done. You, you mentioned the Second Amendment. He he dedicated Texas dollars to these red flag laws across the country to take away our fellow citizens' constitutional right of self defense, and he calls himself a Texan. So that was enough to get me off the reservation. Uh, of thinking that John Cornyn is an actual conservative. Then during the primary, sorry, the runoff, I apologize. During the runoff, he jumps in the middle of the attorney general runoff to put his thumb on the scale for arguably the more moderate, squishy uh, candidate and not the conservative who has been trying to stand up for conservative values and the rule of law, uh, attorney general Ken Paxton. So, and, and he didn't have to do that. He went out of his way to do that. So then that was another strike. And the, the, the last straw for me was the omnibus spending bill. Now, what folks have got to understand about the omnibus bill, the Democrats didn't have the power to pass it themselves. They had already taken their, their two reconciliation bites at the apple. So they were done. They needed Republican help. And all Mitch McConnell and all John Cornyn had to do was say, look, we're going to sign on to a continuing resolution that'll punt this until the first week of February. That way you guys can deal with the, the Republican-controlled House and Americans will get a better deal. We won't fund the 87,000 IRS agents. We will not send money to the border and then prohibit its use for securing the border. And that's... But, Mitch McConnell said, nope, I'm going to box out every one of those individuals in the majority that, that are coming into the House, and I'm going to do a deal with socialists. And John Cornyn said, where do I vote? Yes. Where do I sign on the dotted line? And John Cornyn, knowing everything that has been just harming our Latino communities along the Texas border, just literally destroying them. I got a report today, courtesy of our friends over at... Um, uh, at the Texan.news, that they, they, they are detailing how there are schools being surrounded by razor wire to protect them 
from the onslaught of criminal activity that John Cornyn voted to send millions of dollars down to the border to turn our border agents into Walmart greeters, and he prohibited, he voted to prohibit taxpayer dollars go to to fund the border wall and border security. And for me, that was it. So I've been floating an idea to recall Texas Senator John Cornyn because he cannot be allowed for four more years to do the damage he's doing, Luke. He just cannot be allowed. And then some other folks around the state, the counties, they're voting to demand that he resign, which is also a good thing. Mm -hmm. He needs to know he has no support in the state of Texas anymore. He can no longer to, he no longer has the support of the people of Texas to sell us out. Um, And if you want me to expand, I've talked long enough, but if, if if you want me to expand on my idea about the legislation and the idea behind it, I can, but that's, in a nutshell. No, that makes sense. Um, Defend Texas Liberty PAC, which is a, a pack that I'm involved with, did a poll. I mean, it was just a, several months ago that we did a poll of Republican primary voters just saying, hey, we want to know if you took somebody like Ken Paxton, who has statewide name ID, generally seen as a conservative Republican, he runs against John Cornyn, what do you get? And, and Paxton's literally beating him by almost 20 points. And then we said, mm-hmm. okay, well, what if you put him against Chip Roy and Ronnie Jackson. We've got conservative Congressman Ronnie Jackson out in Amarillo, Wichita Falls area, and then Chip Roy. And again, the two of those guys who are literally just known mostly in their region combined are getting more votes than John Cornyn. And so you go, look, this guy's support in Texas is falling off of a cliff. And I think it's really important that conservatives and Republicans continue to talk about it because he is not up for reelection until 2026. And so it's really important that we actually get it, get it right and can, and get everyone on board. Right. And you know what? I, I would love it if he would step down beforehand and uh, governor Abbott would do the right thing and appoint one of those conservatives to be a partner with Texas Senator Cruz uh, to, to fully represent Texas because John Cornyn represents Mitch McConnell. John Cornyn doesn't represent Texas. Yep. Um, look, there, there is a, a, a a movement, and it actually it started well before this. I remember Bill Richardson. You remember he was the, the the governor of New Mexico, saying that Ted Cruz wasn't a real Hispanic mm. because he wasn't a left wing crazy person. There is a there is a move to delegitimize those of us who are quote unquote minorities. If we if we are conservatives, I, I want to know how you've dealt with that your career. I don't know how how it has been for you. But every bit of quote unquote racism that I have endured in my lifetime has been at the hands of a left winger, never at a cons- of a conservative. As a matter of fact, the only person ever to hand me a microphone has it has always been a conservative and it's always liberals are trying to shut me up. What about you? So I think it's I think I bring a unique perspective. Um, my dad always said that where you stand on a subject is often determined by where you sit. Right. Because we all have different perspectives. We come at this from different angles. You know, I had a dad who was raised by a patriot. And my grandpa, uh, Laborio Macias, you know, moved his family from downtown San Antonio to what would now be considered central, but at the time was considered, you know, rural north side San Antonio. And, uh, and he got a lot of criticism for it. He got a criticism for it because he was, what people saw him 
he was taking his kids out of what they saw, thought was the right culture that they should grow up in. And they said, oh, you just want to be around all the white people. And my grandpa said, no, I, I want to help my children assimilate into this country because this country is a great country. And he was one who very at an early point in his life in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, loved America, right? So he raises his kids to love America too. He said, y'all can't speak Spanish. Um, he did, let, you know, the, you can learn Spanish when you graduate high school, but in order to try to actually become part of the country, you're going to familiarize yourself and live and breathe the language that this country has. And so that kind of brings my dad into a unique situation. He's a college graduate, one of the first in his family. A lot of his other siblings also very successful in their respective endeavors. Why? I think one of the contributing factors was the fact that they actually were made to appreciate the country and then be part of the country, see themselves as citizens first and foremost. You know, my grandpa would say, you're you're an American, you don't have a prefix or a suffix. You're not a you know, Mexican American, you're not a Hispanic, you're just an American. That's what you are. And that's what he would tell my dad. And then it's of course what my dad told us. So he grew up with this very unique perspective, knowing that we were Hispanic, but also really seeing ourselves first and foremost as Americans. When my dad was elected to the Texas legislature in 2006, he was one of the most conservative state reps in Texas. He served for two years and he was the only Hispanic Republican in the legislature at the time. The problem though was, and this is what's interesting, the problem at that point was that he was still not in line with the orthodox beliefs even in the party, right? He still was seen as like this far-right conservative. So Republicans appreciated him because he was Hispanic, of course. But even at that point, it was like, well, you're still really conservative. And, you know, we've got kind of this middle-of-the-road thing going on here in the Texas legislature. So every time you're telling, you're saying things and being a part of things and advancing ideas that isn't part of the norm, we're, we're feeling some pushback here. So I think the same thing can be said for why the Democrats don't do it. You, you, you have all these minorities that say, look, you only get to fit the identity politics mold if you represent the views of the majority of the minority. This is an interesting uh, case they made with all of our redistricting, right? So they'd say, mm -hmm. hey, you're telling me you need, this is before we actually got to where we are today with redistricting, way better. But they'd say, hey, this district has X amount percent Hispanics, so it's still a minority district, but it's Republican. And so then they said, nope, it's not a minority district because the minorities in this district aren't minority enough. And you'd be like, well, why aren't they minority enough? And they'd say, well, they vote not with the majority of their minority. So then it became, in order to be a real Hispanic district, this is what they were arguing in federal court at the time. You needed to have a majority Hispanics in this district, and then the majority of those Hispanics needed to vote like the majority of Hispanics vote in the rest of the country. How insane, right? And so fundamentally, I think people do not like it. when it, it, It's really not about whether you're a minority or not. It, 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 we get this back. I was having this conversation recently with somebody on free speech, right? So the free speech movement starts in Berkeley, and it's these leftists that say, hey, we want to say whatever we want to say. That's, that's what the, these leftists are pushing. They're not pushing for this virtuous idea of free speech. And so now you fast forward several decades and everyone goes, I can't, I can't believe it. Did you know those people at Berkeley, they're censoring people and kicking people off of the university? It's like, yeah, but that's because it had nothing to do with that. It just had to do with them saying what they wanted to say. They don't believe you need to say what you want to say. So exactly. then they go, hey, 
we want more minority voices. And then you go, great, I have a minority voice. And they go, well, no, 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 no. When we said that, we really just wanted these leftist voices, right? Left-wing minority. And that, that's, why, that's why I call them the NAAPCP, <laughs> the National Association for the Advancement of Progressive Colored People, because they don't give a damn what colored people who don't advance socialism, communism care to, to, care to talk about. Yep. They don't care about any of that. So that's a, that's a wonderful perspective and very American, by the way. So in, in Texas politics, real quick, I would just say that I think my other unique deal is that from the beginning, I've been against, let's say, most of the established hierarchy within the Republican Party. So Good for you know, you. when I got involved, it was running a bunch of campaigns against moderate Republican legislators. It was running campaigns against chairman of the Texas House. It was running campaigns against the speaker. It was running campaigns for more conservative senators in the DFW. I mean, Bob Hall, when he ran against Bob Dole in the DFW area, Connie Burton's campaign. So having run 150 campaigns, all these campaigns were for the most conservative people. And so honestly, people could have cared less what my last name was. Those in the Republican Party who didn't like me were, let's say, the establishment, the established order and hierarchy. And those who did appreciate me were conservatives who were really trying to be part of what I see as a growing movement over the last 10 years of growing influence within the party. And so uh, I, I just I think that kind of brings a, a slightly different perspective. Does the conservative movement, in your view, how do I phrase this? D does are we seeing, will we see a divorce between the Republican Party and the conservative movement as the Republican Party establishment wants to become more simpatico with the Marxists, with the socialists in the Democrat Party? And we increasingly on the conservative side of the ledger, the freedom side of the ledger, have no political home. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? I, I think I, I definitely feel it when people look at the Mitch McConnell's of the world, the John Cornyn's of the world, literally selling out the people that put them in power, the Dave Feelings of the world, who take that power that we give them through all of our votes and blood, sweat, and tears, and then turn around and hand a bunch of it over. I think it's important to differentiate, though, that and the Republican Party, because one of the things that we already talked about was the fact that the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, in fact, the Republican Party of Texas, is currently running radio advertisements in the Speaker's District saying, hey, we expect our Republican speaker to be a Republican. And then you have to ask yourself, well, how did that happen? How did we get here? And we only got here with Matt Rinaldi because of 10 years of work that conservatives have put into the Republican Party. And it is the elections at the state conventions to the state Republican Executive Committee. It's electing the right county chairman. It's, I mean, my county chair here in Bear County, a very Hispanic community, is a conservative Republican who beat out an establishment sitting Republican Party chairman in Bear County. And so and people like me who were not very involved in the Bear County Republican Party two years ago are now involved. Why? Because now it is a tool that can be used to advance conservative ideas. So as long as we have the Republican Party under conservative leadership, I think that is first and foremost where conservative activists need to be looking and saying, how do we use this and wield this as a tool to accomplish what we need accomplished, which is also why we have no problem opposing Republican leadership when people come out and say, I can't believe you're criticizing a Republican. It's like, well, we don't have a problem doing that because I don't think you understand why we're doing this. this the progressives are using the Democrat Party because it is a tool that they can use to accomplish what they want, okay? And if they thought they could get more progressive policy, out of a third party, they would do so. Bernie Sanders is an independent, right? 
but he caucuses with the Democrat Party. Why? Because he knows where his bread is buttered. He knows how the policy actually gets to be accomplished. And so I think it's one of those where conservatives have to say, until, you know, as long as we have some elected officials, as long as we have a party that is going to push hard, that's where we need to be putting our energy. Um, Let me give you a, go ahead. Let me give you a story. Let me give you a story on something. I, cause I'm, I'm eager to hear what you think about this too, because this, this impacts minority communities, white communities, the American community. There's a story out there that Fox is talking about. The Virginia governor, Yunkin, is livid. It turns out GovEd there, they withheld the, the, uh, the awards for National Academic Scholarship because uh, out of something they call equity. Because these individuals didn't fit minority status. They, they sat on the information that these kids had won these awards and academic scholarships because they, because they were white and because they didn't fit the diversity model. So these kids missed out on these deadlines because GovEd said, well, you're not fitting into our, our outcomes-based outlook. In my opinion, the worst mistake we ever made in the United States was allowing government to educate our children. And... So let's bring this back home to Texas. Yep. We have Republicans who are out there in your face saying, I am going to deny you school choice. I don't give a dang what you say. I'm making too much money on a side hustle. I don't care what you say. I don't care what's going on with your kids. No school choice for you. Don't those Republicans need to be gone and gone tomorrow? And anyone who stands in the way of parental school choice don't they need to be gone and gone tomorrow? Yeah, I think it's helpful to kind of break down where, where we are with school choice. So Texas is literally one of the worst red states in America regarding school choice. We were the same way with guns, right? When we passed our constitutional carry two years ago, we all rejoiced, but we rejoiced in being like the 27th state that did it, right? So it's the same thing. When we pass school choice, if your Republican politician comes home and says, I'm amazing, I did this thing that 20 other Republican states have already done some for decades. Just filter it through uh, that perspective. But Dan Patrick has been committed to school choice from day one. He has tried to push it multiple times through the Senate, and we are really well positioned to get it out of there quickly. And that's never been a problem. He's been committed. Republicans are committed. Attitude reflects leadership. That's the old Remember the Titans line. Attitude reflects leadership, and the attitude of the Senate is one of aggressive conservative policy because their leader wants to see more of that. And so the Public Education Committee literally today, the day we're recording this, got announced, and it is filled with education reformers not just for school choice policy, but also a bunch, a, a long list of policy that teacher unions oppose, right? And then the, the the dirty little secret is that for the last, really, ever since I've been involved in politics, but I would say since since Joe Strauss took over in 2009, the te- the Texas teacher unions, the liberal teacher unions have had a massive amount of influence as to what comes out of the Texas House Public Education Committee and Dade Phelan appointed a Democrat to chair that committee. He's one of the only two Democrats who voted for against the partial birth abortion ban, okay? So literally this guy's a pretty radical leftist on the social issues and other issues. Um, He's pro-charter school to his credit and he's pro a couple other things which people use to always try to excuse the speaker. And then we have the governor. So a unique situation we have coming into this session is that Governor Abbott has been much more aggressive on school choice than he ever has been. 
The irony in that is that a lot of these Republicans that you mentioned, but let's get specific, even in the DFW area, we've got Glenn Rogers out there who represents Weatherford. We've got Lynn Stuckey, who's kind of out in the Denton area. There's various other members. But all of these legislators have opposed school choice for a very long time. They have voted in lockstep with the teacher unions. They've been endorsed by the teacher unions for re-election. But Greg oh, Abbott yeah. went into their primaries and campaigned very hard to keep them in office. So he campaigned really hard to get all of these teacher union-backed candidates elected. But then a month later came out and said, hey, I'm going to make school choice one of my big priorities. I'm going to push it hard this session. So a lot of us are taking a step back and saying, look, there are not the votes in the Texas House today to pass school choice. They're not there. They can, they can be there without any new elections because most of these people are pawns. And they will ultimately break if the governor and the speaker of the house say, hey, we're going to get this policy done. If the governor goes into the Republican caucus and says, if you don't back school choice, I'm not going to have your back in the election. A lot of these rhinos who know that they'll barely get by in their reelection if Greg Abbott comes and bails them out, will, I believe, vote the right way. Um, Milton Friedman said, you can never elect enough good people who want to do the right thing. That's not the way majority politics, democratically elected Republicans work. You always have to create an environment where the wrong people want to do the right thing in order to accomplish the policy you want to accomplish. And so these are the things that you do and I do and other people around Texas too. We're trying to create an environment where we know these people don't want to do the right thing, but they sometimes will. And so that's where school choice is. Will Greg Abbott actually put his thumb on the scale and make the Texas House deliver school choice. If he does, it'll be a huge victory. And it'll be a victory that a bunch of Republicans deserve credit for because it was an environment that made these people vote opposite to the teacher unions that put them into office. But we have a and ton after, of Republicans there that, that were put there the by China teacher virus, Yeah, after the China virus, man, I don't know how, after everything we've learned, what's going on with the LGBTQ, ABCDEFG, cultural Marxism with critical race theory, the teaching of hate whitey inside of inside of these mm -hmm. inside of these schools. I don't know how anyone who is credible can stand in the way of parental school choice. Because here's the thing: this is this is the pays de resistance, as the great Rush Limbaugh used to say. Um, that the the school administrators are committed leftists. These six figure salaries they're earning. The, the legislature has shown you can't police these school districts. Mm -hmm. You're not, you don't have the ability, you don't have the manpower, you don't have the money, and you don't have the willingness. That's the job of the parents. And it's wrong for you to take that authority and power out of the parents' hands. So since you can't do the job, Texas legislature, give it to the people whose job it is. And that is the parents. Mr. Macias, can you do me a, the honor of telling the, the folks, because this is going to be a dual podcast, it'll be heard in the Salcedo Storm podcast, and your uh, podcast as well, Luke Macias, tell folks where they can find you, how they can pick that uh, that fertile brain of yours and get in touch with you. Yeah, so you can go to lukemacias.com and that's M-A-C-I-A-S, but you can go to lukemacias.com. You can literally fill out the, the message form there on the website. I have a lot of different listeners that give me feedback every week through the website and I'm always emailing them back. So try to stay on top of all of that. If you, uh, I'll speak at Republican clubs. I know you do that too as well, Chris, and we get requests that come in through the website there as well to come speak to a Republican club about really what's going on in Austin. I'm in, I was in the Capitol this week, I was in the Capitol last week. I'll spend different times 
with lawmakers, with groups, with people. Um, and so I'd like to come talk to people about really what's going on behind closed doors. What is it that you're not seeing? Just this last week on the podcast, we talked about, um, you know, the push to ban Chinese ownership of Texas land and how yes. we have a great bill in the Texas Senate. We have a kind of a watered down version of the house that just applies to ag exempt land and just certain companies from China. So you start to kind of dissect and go, here's where these different players are. Here's what they're pushing. And here's what you need to see. So we try to bring yeah, that. I'm talking, yeah. I'm talking to Senator Colcourse this week and it's going to be on the the podcast in the, in the coming days. So that's, I'm look, very looking for, that is a common sense law that every state should be passing, by the way. By the way, you can find me at chrissalcedo.com. So folks, chrissalcedo.com, lukemacias.com, real easy to find us both, two liberty-loving Latinos. Man, this was great fun. Thank you for the invite. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you, you sitting down with us. I appreciate the work that you're doing in Texas, really trying to help people see what's happening. If we don't give them, you mentioned this earlier, imagine, I always tell people, imagine a, a, the COVID China virus hitting and no Florida. Like really imagine if there was no counter option, there would, we would not have any ability to say, see what they were telling you was a lie. Ron DeSantis gave every American citizen who loved their freedom an ability to say, hey, it could have been done differently. And if he hadn't done that, we never would have had that alternative. That's what we're fighting for in Texas. I feel like with what you're doing and I'm doing and everybody else is doing, we're trying to make sure that America always has a, nope, California did it this way, Texas did it this way. But we actually have to defund the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in our universities. We actually have to tell Chinese citizens and loyalists to the Chinese Communist Party, you can't buy our land we don't appreciate that. And so we have to take these actions every single step of the way. We have to get rid of people like John Cornyn to do that. Amen. So, um, Amen. Chris, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.